Donna, when did we apply for our visas? What? March 16th. Okay, March 16th, we submitted our visas, and we're still waiting to hear. And during or our, our for the on the application, they one of the questions they ask is, "When are you projected? When would you like to return, or when when would you like to go?" And I put July 4th. So <clears throat> I'm thinking that they're not going to stamp the visa. We applied for a three-year visa. I'm thinking they're not going to stamp the visa until it gets closer to July 4th, because if they would have stamped it in the end of March, beginning of April, once they stamp it, then the time ticks away on the three-year visa. And I don't want to spend, uh, I don't want to use up our visa, any, you know, any major part of it in the States. I want to be there. So I think that's maybe why they're they haven't stamped it yet. But um, if you want to pray about something, why don't you pray we do both? That we, we do get our visas. I do want to go back, without a doubt. Uh, but maybe they could stamp it, I don't know, mid-July or something. And uh, we would consider, I would consider staying for an extra four weeks before we went back, so I don't know, maybe we will be back here. We'll trust the Lord with it. Let's go to the Gospel of John this morning, <coughs> John chapter 9, <coughs> John 9, greetings to all of you out there in TV land. <laughs> I don't know who's watching, but when you read uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it does help to have an understanding and awareness that each writer presents Jesus Christ in a different way. And to get a full understanding or a better understanding um, of who Jesus is, you need to read all four accounts to get the full portrait of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus Christ as being king of the Jews, that he is in line to sit on the throne of David. And Matthew's genealogy shows that. Mark shows Jesus Christ as a servant. And Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And so you see Jesus as being the servant, which, by the way, Mark doesn't have a genealogy of Jesus. Do you know why? not necessary for a servant to have a genealogy. He's a servant. Luke presents Jesus as being human, completely human, humanity. He's called the Son of Man. One of my favorite verses in Luke is in chapter 19, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Luke shows the genealogy of Christ going all the way back to Adam. That's amazing. He was man. He's the God-man. John presents Jesus Christ as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He is God. So when you read the Gospel of John, it helps to keep that in mind. Everything that the Spirit of God led John to record is going to point to the fact that Jesus is God. And it'll make a difference if you keep that in mind when you read John. 
In John chapter 8, you'll find where Jesus proclaimed to the Jews of his deity. Uh, look at verse 52. Then the Jews said unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. <laughs> Saying Jesus has a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death? Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Notice. Who makest thou thyself? You know, in the modern vernacular, they're saying, asking, who do you think you are? That's what they're asking. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him. You know what Jesus is saying here? You're not saved. You're not saved people. You don't know God. You say you do, but you don't know him. But I know him, and if I should say I know him not, <laughs> I shall be a liar like unto you. <laughs> Boy, he didn't mince words, did he? The Lord Jesus. But I know him, and keep his saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham, before there ever was an Abraham, I am. I am. Does that sound familiar? When Moses was on the Mount of Sinai, Lord, we don't even know your name. If I go unto Pharaoh and to the people of Israel, who am I going to say has sent thee, has sent me? And God, Jehovah God, said before Abraham, he said, I am that I am has sent thee. And that's what he's saying here, before Abraham was, I am. He just claimed to be God right there. That's what John's about, amen? The Gospel of John. Now, notice verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. They want to stone him to death. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Let's, let's pray. Father, I pray and bless the uh, teaching of this portion of Scripture. As we consider the blind man, we consider others in, in this narrative, we consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, be glorified. And Father, will you call a sinner to yourself today? Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says and that's what we pray. And Father, encourage your people. And Father, may we See again the love and the mercy, compassion, the power of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name I pray, amen. <clears throat> you know, back up in verse 59 here, the Lord Jesus 
the Bible says, passed through the midst of them. They were going to stone him. And so passed by and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth and his disciples asked him. You know, the disciples can see the Lord. He didn't become invisible to them. But up in verse 59, the Lord Jesus suddenly cannot be found. He can't be seen by anybody. He just passes through the midst of them. I mean, these <clears throat> bloodthirsty people, they, they pick up stones. They've got stones in their hands, and they're ready to cast at Jesus. They want to kill him right now. They want to do him in right here, right now. They got the stones ready. And suddenly, well, they've got the arms back. They've got the stones in their hand. They're ready to throw at him. Well, where did he go? He was, he was just here. Where did he go? He suddenly vanishes. Jesus can do that. The Lord can do that. He's God in human flesh. And so he passed by. He just passes. In the Bible, notice, he goes through the midst of them. He, he's he's right, right in the middle of them, just passing by. They don't see him suddenly. And so passed by, and, and, and what a testimony of the Lord here. Look at verse 1. And so passed by, uh, uh, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man. So Jesus suddenly makes himself unseen to these enemies of his. Now the disciples see him. But as he's passing by from being, you know, about to be stoned to death, as he passes by through the midst of them, he sees a man escaping for his life, but he's really noticing somebody else. Isn't that like the Lord? You know, I think of Jesus on the cross. He's nailed to the cross going through an excruciating, physical, painful death. And who is he thinking about while he's on the cross? The one who's crucified next to him. And so he sees a man. Let's consider this man. The Bible says this man was blind from his birth. Never had seen before. Never had seen his parents. You know, never had seen a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset. Never had seen mountains. Alaska is a beautiful state. If you're born and raised here, you probably get used to all of this. Coming from North Dakota, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, this man had never seen living in darkness. You know, this man is a picture of a sinner. Do you understand that if you've never been born again, you're blind? You cannot see. Now your physical eyes may be working, but your spiritual eyes are blind. Jesus said to a religious man, except a man be born again, <clears throat> he cannot see. See what? The kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus could see physically. <clears throat> and <clears throat> when Jesus said, you have to be born again, if you're not born again, you can't see. You cannot see. See what? The kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, you can't understand it. He's talking about the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. You can't see. And we understand that. You know, if I'm talking to you and I'm explaining something to you and you're, you're getting it, you're understanding it, there's times we'll say, oh, I see, yeah, I see. Well, what do you mean by that? I'm understanding. You know, if you're not saved today, this book is really a closed book to you. You're not drawn to it. You don't have any real interest in it. 
and when you read it, you don't really understand it? There's, real, there's really no connection. Jesus said, why is it that you, you don't understand my speech? This is his speech right here on the written page. You don't understand my speech. You don't hear my word. Why? He said, because you're not of God. He that is of God heareth God's word. You therefore hear them not because you're not of God. You don't understand it. You really don't see it. You don't understand it. You don't get it. And when Nicodemus was told he had to be born again, he said, <clears throat> how can a man be born when he is old? You know, Nicodemus was an old man. And he didn't become a Pharisee last of last week. He'd been a teacher of God, supposedly, for many, many years. And Jesus said, Mr. Nicodemus, you're not a saved man. That's what he's telling him. You've never been born again. Now, if the pastor's never been born again, what is he teaching his people? Didn't understand? Born again, born again, born again. You know, did you notice the first word that came out of his mouth in John 3? What was the first word? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? The first word, however, was how. <laughs> can I ask you something? If you claim to be saved, can you take this book? Can you, can you explain for me how to be born again? Are you able to explain it? You know, these people who say, well... <clears throat> You know, I'm saved. I'm born again. I just don't really know how I was saved. I really don't remember when I was saved. I really can't tell you where I was when I was saved. My friend, if that's you, you're lost. You're lost. You know, my wife and I will have been married 19 years, July 26th. I didn't get married till I was 40. God had me on the Isaac plan. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, I waited a long time. I was saved at 19. So that's 21 years I waited for God to bring me a wife. 21 years, from 19 to 40. I can tell you this, I remember when I was married. Do you know how I, how I know that? I was there when it happened. Amen? Do you think that I'm going to forget the day I was married? I was there when it happened. And so how can somebody say they're saved but they don't remember when, they don't remember where, they don't remember why, they don't remember how. You're lost. And let me say this, if your testimony, listen to me carefully, if your testimony is, and I'll just give an example. Well, I don't really remember uh, when I was saved, but my mom told me I was saved. My mom remembers it. But you don't remember it? No. But you're saved. But you don't remember it? How can you have the God of creation, eternal God, come and fill your body and your soul with his spirit and you not remember it? That's impossible. If you're not saved, you're blinded. And you were born blind. We all start out that way. If our gospel be hid, it is to hid to them who are lost, and whom the God of this world, small g God, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. You see. This man was blind. 
He was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, how could the man sin to be born blind? I don't understand that. Oh, did his parents sin that he was born blind? Is God judging his parents? Is that why his child was born blind? You know, safe, safe people can be like that. Oh, I know why this bad thing has happened. God's judging them. Well, God may be. <laughs> he may be chastening them, but, you know, I don't know. We don't know in every case, right? It's like Job's friend. Job, you've sinned. Surely, admit it, Job. Come on, admit it. Admit it. You've sinned, Job. <laughs> well, Jesus said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Do you know, uh, if you're saved today, well, even if you're not saved, do you know that God wants to manifest his work in you if you're not saved, God wants to save you and manifest His power and His glory in your life. If you are saved, God wants to manifest His glory, His work in your life. God saves us for a, for a purpose and it's unto Him be glory. In verse 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I must work the works of him that sent me. You know, anybody who's saved, we have, we've been saved for a purpose. God has a, a, a great plan. God gives uh, spiritual gifts to his children after they're saved and then they're baptized into the Lord's local New Testament church. God equips you with spiritual gifts. God has saved you for a reason and for a purpose. You need to know what that is and you need to fulfill it. And anybody who's saved needs to have this same kind of an, an attitude. I must work the works of Him, especially if you're called into the ministry. That's the attitude of a truly God-called preacher. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, that ought to be our attitude. As long as I'm in the world, I'm not the light of the world, but I am a light. That's what Jesus said. Verse 6, notice. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind with the clay. Now consider this. You know, people who are blind, their other senses are very sharp. Have you ever noticed that? When, when people can't see? They're very much aware of their surroundings. And, and their other senses, their hearing and so on, their touch, it becomes more sharp. And so here's this man who's never seen. He was born blind, and now Jesus is there. And he's standing in front of this man. And as I say, their, their senses are very sharp. They're, they're aware of what's going on. And what does Jesus do? He's standing before the blind man, and this man, no doubt, senses that Jesus bends down. He's not here. He, he, the movement, he senses he's, he's bending down in the ground. And then he hears... <laughs> Jesus gets some spit. And he spits on the ground. And no doubt, this, this blind man who's standing there, he's, he's hearing this. He's, he's, he's sensing this. What, what's he doing? And then he, he senses Jesus rises up and he's standing before him after hearing him spit and doing something on the ground. 
after he spit. Now he's standing up and I can sense he's in front of me and suddenly I feel the wetness on my eyes. Oh no! What's he doing? <laughs> he anoints the eyes of the blind with the clay, the wet clay from the spittle. And then Jesus says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation, sent. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus do this? Have you ever wondered that? What, 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 what's, what's, what's the purpose of this? Why is he doing it this way? I mentioned in the Sunday school, Jesus, you know, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Could not God, could not Jesus have said, eyes be open? He could have done that. But see, he's doing everything for a reason. He's doing it for the sake of the blind man and those who are around. He's doing it for a reason. And God's Spirit led John to record this incident and remember, what's, what's the Gospel of John all about? He's God. Amen? Amen? So why is he doing it this way? All right, let me give you my opinion. Everything that is said, everything that is done, everything that's recorded in John, it's all about Jesus is God. So, without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. Who is the creator? Before Abraham was, I am. And so, here's this man, created by God. But in this particular case, the job wasn't finished. So what does the creator do? He gets down and makes, gets some clay or some dust, some dirt from which man was made. And Jesus gets a little bit of that, puts it on his eyes and says, I'm going to finish the job today. I'm going to open up your eyes. Jesus is showing that he's God. He's finishing his creative act, showing that I have power in every way. So let me just finish the job for you. Let me give you seeing eyeballs. Amen? Let me give you another example of this. I want you to go to... Just flip back a, a page in John chapter 8. <clears throat> Jesus, is man, Jesus is manifesting his deity. Je John is all about showing that Jesus is God. In John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went out unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. Now notice where he's at. He's in the temple. He's in the temple. And all the people came unto him and sat down and, and taught them. He, they, they, he, he sat down and taught them. Verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? See, they're tempting him. You know, if Jesus would have said, stone her. The law of Moses says stone her. Well, you know what? They would have accused him and, of, and found him you know, guilty of going against the Roman law. Because according to the Roman law, the Jews could not take it upon themselves to execute. So they would have had him guilty of, the, of breaking the Roman law. 
But if, if, if he would have said, no, don't stone her, well, then they would have found him guilty of breaking the law of Moses. So see, they trapped him between the law of Moses and the Roman law. They're thinking they're so clever. What does he do? Verse 5, Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. See, that's their motive right there. Now what does Jesus do when he's accused? What does he do? Well, hold your place here before we read on. We're going to compare scripture. Go to Matthew 12 quickly. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12, and look at verse 10. Verse 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? Notice, that they might accuse him. They're trying to accuse him of something. And so what did Jesus do? Well, you read the rest of the story. He deferred them to the divine, to the deity. Verse 13, Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and it, he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole. Trying to accuse Jesus, what does he do? Points them to the divine. All right? Go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. They're wanting to accuse him in John. In Mark chapter 3, verse 1, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. Now they're accusing him. They're wanting to accuse him. What does Jesus do? He manifests the divine, his deity. He says unto the man, you know, stand forth. And in verse number five, stretch forth thine hand. Showed his deity. Whenever Jesus was accused, he manifested his deity. Well, now we're in John. Go back there. This they said that they might have to accuse him. You see that. Verse 6, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. So what does Jesus do? Notice, but Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. Now, you know what most people get tripped up on? You know what most people get tripped on, Brother Humphrey? Well, what did he write? What did he write? Right? Am I right? Oh, what did he write? Hello? God didn't tell us what he wrote. You know why? It's, that's not the point of the whole thing. The whole point is not what he wrote. If it was, he would have told us. Amen? It's not what he wrote. It's with a deliberate act. What did he do? With a very deliberate act, he reaches down, he stoops down, and with his finger, he writes. Now, most people think, oh, well, I understand that, Pastor or Brother, Brother Kuzel, because, you know, he's at the beach, and he's writing in the sand. That's what people think, he's writing in the sand. He's in a sandbox. He's at the beach. No, he's not. Where is he? In verse 2, he's in the temple. He's inside the temple. And what's below his feet? It's paving stones. He's in the, standing in the temple, the foundation of the temple. There's not a sandbox in there. Remember, what is John about? To manifest and to show he's God. And what did they just accuse him of before that in, in John chapter 8? At the end of it, what are they going to be accusing him of? You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And what does he 
do. He quotes when he was having that conversation with Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, before, you know, I am that I am. I'm before Abraham. And now they're trying to accuse him and to put him against the law of Moses. And you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, I'm the one who gave you that law. Didn't he say that in the, in the, in the Beatitudes? Moses said this, you know, the law says this, the law said this, but I say this. I'm the one who gave Moses that law. I'm the one with the finger of God who wrote the law, the Ten Commandments on tables of stone, and now I'm going to use my finger again to write on the ground. I'm God. Amen. Whenever Jesus was accused, he manifested his deity. It's not, it's not what he wrote. It's the fact that he wrote with the finger. You know, when they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, what did Jesus say? Well, if I'm casting out devils by Beelzebub, who do your children cast them out? But if I, with the finger of God, cast them out, the finger of God, then is the kingdom of God come unto you. So, Jesus is showing this man, I'm the creator. And I'm going to take the dust of the ground from which you were made, and I'm going to open your eyes. Amen. Then, after he put the clay on with the spittle, you say, why the spittle? You know, this is, my, this is my opinion again as to why he did it. But the truth that I want to present is biblical. Do you notice that when this blind man was standing there and Jesus is there. He senses that Jesus bends down. He hears the spit, the spittle. Jesus stands up. His eyes are now wet with the mud, the clay. Did you know uh, did you notice that this man didn't raise an objection with what Jesus was doing? Oh, what are you doing? You know why? Because this man wanted to see. This man wanted to see. And you know something? This man wanted to see far more than any means that would be necessary for him to see. I don't see this man complaining that he's got spit and mud in his eyes. He let, he let him do it. And when Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, he didn't say, what, 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 why, where, what, what, what's this about? Ah, well, you know, he didn't have any objections. He wanted to see. And you know, if you make it a spiritual application with this, you know something, it's really not going to matter. If I'm blinded and I can't see spiritually and I'm without God and I'm not saved and I need my sins forgiven and I need to be brought into a relationship with God, you know something? It doesn't matter to me what God tells me I have to do to be saved. I'm not going to argue with God. I'm not going to negotiate with God. I want to see. I want to be saved. It doesn't matter. And so when Jesus Christ tells me I need to pick up a cross and I need to follow him and I need to go to Calvary and I need to be willing to give up my very life to the death, as it were. My goals, my dreams, my ambitions of all that I want to be, of all where I want to go, of everything that I want to experience, I'm willing to lay down my life to give it up completely as if I was crucified. It doesn't matter to me. 
because what I'm going to gain is far greater than what I have to give up or what I have to repent of. And you know what you need to repent of in order to be saved? You! There's far too many people They'll pick up their cross and they'll think, you know, this is the thing to do. You know, I want to be a Christian, you know. They'll pick up a cross and they'll start following Jesus, not really knowing what this is all about. Oh, I want to make a profession. I want to be saved, you know. I want to invite Jesus into my heart, you know. And so they pick up the cross, they identify with Christianity, and they're going to follow Jesus. And where does Jesus' cross lead him to? Up to a mountain where there's a bunch of People up there who hate him and who, who can't stand him and who are out for his blood. And when they get to the cross, they see that they're going to be, you know, Jesus is going to be crucified. And if that's going to happen to me, if that's the requirement of me, oh no, I'm going to drop the cross and run. I want to keep myself alive. You know what I'm talking about? In the Bible, it's called repentance. Well, I want to be saved, God. I want to be saved, Jesus, but let, let's just talk about this. Let's negotiate this. I will give up most everything in my life, but there's a part of my life, <laughs> no God, off limits, no trespassing, do not enter. You start doing that with the Lord, you'll never be saved. He will not save you. Because if there's any part of your life you want to keep alive, he won't save you. Because you don't really want to be saved. There's a part of you you want to keep alive. You don't want to be saved from this. Let me ask you something. How much of Jesus was dead on the cross? How much of his life did he give up? 85%? 95%? Did Jesus claim any part of his life for his own? No. You know, it's like this. A guy gets a, an old, older car and he refinishes it. You know, some guys are into that. And uh, gets a new paint job. New interior, new leather seats, new sound system. Mm. new tires, new mags, new rims, all that kind of stuff, you know. Well, he likes this, this, this car, you know. That, this, is, this is him. This is his image. I mean, this, he put a lot of work into this. But, you know, nothing ever satisfying forever. And so the car, there comes a time and he thinks, well, you know, I, I kind of want a new car. So I'm going to trade this one in. So he goes to the dealer. He finds a new car. And he says, I want to trade that. Oh, look at that. I want to trade this car in. And the, and, the, and the salesman says, oh, wow, that's nice, you know. So he's going to trade the car in, and the deal's about to be done. And he says, oh, but wait a minute. You know, <clears throat> I just put a new sound system in this car. I think I'm going to take that out. I've got, you know, the old one. Let me just put that in there. I want this is a new sound system. And he says, oh, you know, these tires, I just put on these tires, they're, they're, they're really new, and I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to keep these tires, too. Oh, and then, you know something else? Um, <laughs> I really like these leather seats, and they're new, and I put a lot of money into this new leather, so I think I'm going to keep these leather seats. You know what the salesman is going to do? You don't want a new car. You want to keep this one. Oh, Lord, I want to be saved from my sin and I'll be willing to, to trade myself in and I'll be willing to give up this part of my life, but there's this part. I want to remain in control of it. You're not going to tell me what to do in this area. Now, what, what is that area? I don't know. You're not going to tell me how to dress. You're not going to tell me what career I can't pursue. 
You're not going to tell me what career I have to pursue. You're not going to tell me, God, who I can marry. You're not, going to have, you're not going to tell me things like that. This part of my life is mine. Hands off. My friend, that is not repentance. That's not repentance. You're negotiating with God. Jesus meant what he said. You pick up a cross and you follow me. And that cross, you're going to be crucified. And if you're going to love your life and try to save it, in the end, you lose it. If you try to save any part of your life, you're going to lose the whole thing. But if you'll lose your life, well, how much of it, Brother Scott? All of it. You lose your life for Christ, the same shall save it. I think there's people here today, you've never done that. You've never truly repented of you. And you say you believe in Jesus. I'm just telling you, no, no repentance, no salvation. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've professed to be saved. No repentance, no salvation. You know, you, you know what the problem is with you and I? It goes back to our birth. That's why we need a new birth. And your physical birth made you who you are. All right, let me give another example. I feel the Lord has me park here for a moment. And I believe this is for somebody in here. Let's say that there's a big rock here. And let's just say that in order to get to heaven... This rock has to be moved from point A to point B. And so you look at that rock and you think, well, yeah, it's pretty big, but I think that I can do it. I think I can do it. So you come over here and you get your arms around this rock and you... I don't think I can do this. So then, oh, the devil's clever. Don't miss it. I can't save myself. I need help. I need God. I can't do this. I need God in my life. I need God. This rock has to be moved from point A to point B. I need God in my life. I need help. Really? So when you prayed to be saved, you asked God for help? What are you implying when you say, God, I need help? Help? Okay, here's what help means. I can't do this by myself. See, doesn't that sound good? I can't, I can't save myself. I need God's help. Oh, you, you, no. You don't need God's help, but here's what help means. God, I'm going to get on this side of the rock. You get on that side of the rock. And together, we'll move the rock. I, I can't do it by myself, God. I need your help. Oh. So it's a joint effort, is it? It's Jesus plus you. You just need God's help. No, if you think you just need God's help, you're lost when it comes to salvation. You're lost. You don't need God's help. 
You know what that equates with back in this other illustration? Well, I was born a sinner, and I'm going along life's road, and I, I'm full of sin, and so I'm going to make a decision for Jesus while I'm on my, on my, my road of life. So while I'm going down my road of life, fulfilling my goals, my, my dreams, I'm in charge, I can't do it by myself. I have my goals, my dreams, my ambitions. I can't do it by myself, so I'm going to have God come. I'm going to receive Jesus, and he's going to help me fulfill my goals and my ambitions. So I'm just going to add Jesus along the road, and together I'll be able to do what I really want to do because he's going to help me. No, you're just Christianizing the flesh. You're Christianizing the old man. No, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is seeing the rock, confessing, I can't do this. And I don't need Jesus' help. I need Jesus' salvation. I'm going to put my faith and trust in the Lord for him to move the rock all by himself from start to finish. I'm not even going to touch it. Jesus is going to move the rock for me as only he can do. He's going to save me all by himself from start to finish. It's not going to be Jesus in me or me in Jesus. All right, let me give you another example. You're born a sinner. You're going down pursuing your goals, dreams, and ambitions. You're controlled by sin. And all of a sudden, the truth comes to you. And you start hearing what the Bible says. And you start learning about what sin is. And you start feeling guilty about who you are and how you live and the things that you do. And you're sitting there in the driver's seat of your life. And suddenly you realize, oh, I'm a sinner. I need God. So I'm going to invite Jesus into my heart. Jesus, would you please get in the passenger seat? I need God. But I'm still going to be in the driver's seat. I just want Jesus to go along, and he's going to go where I take him. Because it's still going to be my life. I'm still in control. And so now we've got people who think they're saved because they've invited Jesus into their life. And now Jesus is in the passenger seat. Let me tell you something. As long as you're in the driver's seat when it comes to salvation, you're in the driver's seat, he's not even there. You are deceived big time. Let me tell you what salvation is. Salvation is saying, God, I'm a sinner. I'm without you. I was born separated from you. I'm dead in trespasses and sins. You are God. I've been living my life for myself. I've been in charge going where I want to go, when I want to go, with whomsoever I want to go. I've been in the driver's seat. It's been me having the authority. I've been holding the keys of my life. But right here, right now, I give up. I'm getting out of the driver's seat and I'm giving the keys to you. You're going to be God in my life. You're going to be the master of my life. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to get out and get in the passenger seat and you are going to be the Lord. You're going to be the driver. I'm going to follow you. You can take me wherever you want to go. You can have me live however you want to live. I'm just going to follow you. You're in charge. You're going to be the Lord of my life. That's repentance. That's repentance. You start negotiating with God on how much he's going to have and how much you're going to retain. Uh-uh. One last example and I'm finished. I just believe God wants me to preach this. You know, with the creation of God, God's fingerprints 
is over everything. And I believe what the Bible says, that creation testifies to its creator. The heavens declare. Day unto day uttereth speech. Every single day, creation is testifying and saying something if we'll listen. Night unto night shows forth knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowing. You can know God. Now, just looking at creation is not enough to get you saved, but it'll point you to him, that you need to seek him. So, let's consider God's creation. <clears throat> There's this thing called a caterpillar that's really a worm, a hairy worm, an ugly worm. And where do caterpillars live? You find them on the ground crawling. They're as low as they can go. Right? They're ugly. They're just on the ground there. But something happens, you know. It's enclosed in a cocoon. And we really don't know what goes on in there, but we know the result. That ugly worm comes out as a butterfly, a beautiful butterfly. By the way, did you see that far side where the butterfly comes out of the cocoon and it takes flight and right above it was a spider's web? <laughs> uh-uh, sorry. <laughs> you know, when you consider the two natures of a, of, a, of a caterpillar and a butterfly, they're very different. Very, very different. Different natures. The one lives on the earth as low as it can go, and it's ugly, not beautiful. The other is beautiful, and it's in the heavens, as it were, the first heaven. It flies. You never see a butterfly crawling on the ground, and you don't see a caterpillar flying with wings, right? But I'm afraid we've got people who claim to be saved. They profess to be saved. They've never had a new birth. They've never repented, as I'm illustrating. But they're a caterpillar, and they're trying to sprout wings as a caterpillar. It's not going to work. If you don't have that new nature, if you've never been saved, if you've never been transformed, if you've never been converted, you can't live a Christian life. And you don't even want to. Now you can come in here and for a few hours look the part, act the part, play the part. But you're really a caterpillar. And you're really not comfortable here. And you really want to go out there and be who you really want to be and live how you really want to live. Amen. Well, this man, it didn't matter to him what Jesus was going to do. He wanted to see. And he went and did what Jesus said to do. He went to wash in a pool that I doubt was chlorinated. But he did what Jesus said to do, and he came seeing. It worked. Doing it God's way, trusting in the Lord, it worked. Are you truly saved? Have you truly repented? Have you gotten out of the driver's seat, honestly? Did you give the keys to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you put your faith in him from start to finish? Or are you deceived thinking you're saved, but it's really you, it's all about you, and it's you being in charge of your life? Why not come to Jesus, who's God, he can open your blinded eyes. And he can save you from start to finish all by himself if you'll be willing to repent, pick up a cross, go to your death as it were, bye-bye, no more me, 
By the way, when you die, what do you do with the dead man? You bury him. Isn't that what baptism is after you're saved? It's a funeral. But you can't be buried unless you die. You've got to be willing to give up who you are for a new birth so you can have a new life. You can't have a Christian life without the birth. And in order to have the birth, you've got to repent. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray for somebody here today. Father, there's probably someone here who has claimed to have been saved for many years, perhaps. But they've never truly repented. They look beautiful on the outside, like the Pharisees. Beautifully white. But inside they're full of extortion and excess and all iniquity. Dead men's bones. No life. Father, I believe there's somebody here who has never repented. And I think if they're going to be honest about it, they would have to admit there's no new nature, no new man on the inside. It's all appearances. It's all a show. It's all to please other people. But God knows, doesn't he? Father, you know the hearts of all men. And I'm praying that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, they could have their eyes open like this blind man. May they come to you as the Spirit calls. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.